Your mother has some cutting items to say about her sister's kids who are sports stars while you have little interest in sports and little ability when it comes to sports. How would you respond? I'm not looking for a response, but think about it. How would you respond to that if that were true in your family or something similar? How many of you as parents, your children are younger or when they were younger, chose to discipline the neighborhood kids? No, you did. I didn't say if you wanted to or not, but you discipline the neighborhood kids. Most people would say, well, it's not my responsibility. The family of God in Corinth was trashing one another in action. But they apparently did not grasp that they were trashing one another in their actions. They celebrated the Lord's Supper, a meal displaying the body of Christ. But they were divided, the rich versus the poor, the haves versus the have-nots, the early birds versus the latecomers. Thus the Lord chose to discipline them because they were his children. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, reading together 17 through 34. Last Sunday we introduced this passage. We'll finish looking at it this morning and then, Lord willing, next Sunday morning we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And it's good for us sometimes to have... A time to remember, reflect on what God says. We have communion many times, and we don't comment on it a lot. But chose to, at this point in time, it's been quite a few years since we discussed communion in any detail. So let's read together 1 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place... I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do in remembrance of me. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it and remember it to me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. In this passage, we find that Paul addresses, first of all, in verses 17 through 22, there was hunger, there was drunkenness, there was quarreling, not really the Lord's Supper. And Paul clearly says that it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. Then in verses 23 through 26, he gives the received tradition, the Lord's Supper that he received from Christ. In verses 27 through 34, he says, examine, judge yourself, and discern the body. Please understand that the Lord is confronting a church that has issues. There was sickness, there was some weakness, and some of them had died. And he reminds them, because of their divisions, apparently there was early comers, late comers, there were some that had food and some that didn't have food. He reminds them of the reminds them of the tradition that was given, where he clearly states, For I received from the Lord what I also gave unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Which is, for, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after, he, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in light of the tradition, if you please, the Lord's Supper that Paul reminds the Corinthians, he goes on in verses 27 through the end of the chapter to encourage them to examine themselves, to judge themselves, And discern the body of the Lord. In verse 27. Therefore, who have reached the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. They were eating in a guilty way. In verse 28, he says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Why? Verse 30. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So in verse 30, it was 29 we just read, now 30, this is why 
Many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. They had died physically. And now he goes back to judging in verse 31. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Then in verse 32, he talks about judgment from the Lord. When we're judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. And then in 33 and 34, he gives some guidance. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. He begins these or this paragraph with eating guilty. He reminds them in the middle of it that there are some that are weak and sick and have died. And then he concludes with some guidance and how they should respond. States the problem, encourages them to examine themselves. He says that very clearly. That examination is to take place in verse 28. A man ought to examine himself. If you don't examine them, or if they didn't examine themselves, apparently, they would eat and drink without recognizing the body of the Lord. And that brought judgment. So he says, judge yourself. Because when you're judged... Your discipline. Now, going back to verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread of the cup, or eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. What does it mean to eat and drink of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner? If you look at the context of the passage, it's not talking about the unworthiness of the individual since every believer is fully accepted in Christ. Go back to chapter 1. Paul there is dealing with a different type of divisions. In chapter 1, they were divided church in the sense that some were following Paul, some Apollos, some Peter. The division in Corinth, or uh, chapter 11 is... You know, the rich, the poor, the haves, the have-nots. The early birds and the latecomers. And as I mentioned last week, we're dealing with a church that probably had slave owners, rich, and slaves who were poor. But in chapter 1, he says in verse 36, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Notice particularly verse 30. 
Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Paul is writing to a divided church. Paul is writing to a church that had tolerated immorality in it. He was writing to a church that apparently they were taking each other to court. They were having some major marital issues, but yet he says to them, Christ has become our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Unworthy is not talking about the unworthiness of the individual because the worthiness of the individual depends on Christ and what he has done. And that is important to grasp. Our worthiness before God is not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon Christ. There's no indication in the context that unconfessed sin is a primary issue and it makes one unworthy. In the context. Remember, the Corinthians had immorality that had been going on. Man was living in immorality for a period of time. They had divisions. They were taking each other to court. They had marital issues. Obviously, there's some sin involved there. But Paul does not address that in this passage. Unworthy means to partake of the Lord's table while being at odds with other believers. That is a lack of unity or oneness. The rich, the poor, the haves, the have-nots, the early birds, the latecomers. So what happened? Some in Corinth were getting drunk. Others ate. And then the latecomers didn't have anything to eat. That's what Paul addresses in the passage. Paul recognizes that God is concerned about the one body. In verse 18 of chapter 11, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Here's a single body, the body of believers in Corinth, coming together, and there were divisions. Verse 20, 21 and 22. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? Humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Why is Paul coming down so hard? Because Christ provides for a single body. But they were living as the haves, the have-nots, the early birds, the late birds, the rich and the poor. To the extent that when they came together to eat and they had their fellowship meal, some were getting drunk, some were going hungry. Christ's death, his body and blood, was for the distinct purpose of making believers one. 
In chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, we find Paul talks about as he exhorts them to take care of the man who's living in immorality, that you're a single loaf. And a little yeast or leaven works through the whole batch. In chapter 10, 14 through 17, he again emphasizes the fact that the church is a unit. It's a single unit. In chapter 12, 12 through 31, he again emphasizes the fact that the body is a unit. So he says, if anyone eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, how would a person be guilty? The body and blood of the Lord, I'm talking about his physical body. He was deity when he came to this earth. John 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, and a host of other passages bear that out. And very strongly emphasized in the Gospels. Christ paid a great price for our redemption for the redemption of the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor, and the early birds and the latecomers in Corinth. Philippians 2 says that he was willing to humble himself and take upon himself the form of a servant. So Christ's blood, Christ's body, results in being in the body of Christ, thus one with other believers. And again, chapter 5, verse 7 Chapter 10, 14 through 17. Chapter 12, 12 and 13 emphasizes that item or those items. The fact that we're a unit. There is a union between Christ, the head, and his body, believers. To be in union with one is to be in union with the other. To hurt one is to hurt the other. When I hurt another believer, because we're members of the body of Christ, I'm hurting Christ, because the head, the body. If I respond to Christ incorrectly, I'm hurting his body, because the head and the body are one. You can't hurt your physical body without affecting your head. You can't hurt your head without affecting your body, because they're in union with one another. Partaking of the Lord's table while lacking unity on the part of the Corinthians or on the part of us would result in guilty. How did the Corinthians sin? The rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, the early birds and the latecomers, He said, you're not living as a body. How do you think someone feels when they come late because they didn't get off work, they're a slave, and there's nothing for them to eat? How do you think people feel when they come and some of you are drunk? No, he's impressing upon them that Something serious is going on. So he goes on then in verse 28. And it says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats 
of the bread and drinks the cup. What does it mean to examine, to scrutinize, to look carefully at? And this is done before partaking of the Lord's table. So he's saying, Corinthians, scrutinize yourself, examine yourself. You haves, how are you responding to the have-nots? You rich, how are you responding to the poor? You early birds, look at what's happening with the latecomers. Examine yourself. Do you see what's happening? You're a divided body. So what's the purpose of examine? To make certain the Corinthians understood the body and blood of the Lord. That which purchased their redemption. Thus there is one body. To make certain they understood that the Lord's table proclaims the Lord's death. Thus believers are one. So next Sunday we partake of communion. The bread, the cup. We're signifying that in Christ, we're a unit. To make certain there was no division or lack of unity. And he is writing to a church where there was haves and haves not, rich and poor, you know, early birds and latecomers. Christ makes a playing field level for all believers. Each believer comes into the body of Christ by faith in a substitute. There are no rich and poor. Early birds, late birds. Because everyone comes to Christ by faith. So you have a wealthy person in Corinth talking to a slave. And the slave says to a wealthy person, I think you're pretty hot stuff, don't you? And the wealthy person says, no. I came to Christ by faith. I had to humble myself. And then the rich person says to the slave, you probably feel like dirt. And the slave says, no. I came to Christ the same way you did by faith. I've been exalted. Same playing field. So Paul is encouraging them to examine themselves because the playing field makes them level. The question is simple for the Corinthians. Is there any relational barriers between you? And Paul says there is for the Corinthians. So he goes on. In verse 29, he says, If you eat and drink without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why some of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. So there's some sickness, there's some weakness in the body and some have died. And Paul says, let me tell you what's going on. You come together for the Lord's Supper, but it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. 
So he says in 31, if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we're judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we'll not be condemned with the world. God in grace is at work in the church in Corinth with discipline. He's disciplining his children. Hebrews 12, the writer there says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Discipline shows love. Ruth and I were raising our kids. We didn't discipline the neighborhood kids. Sometimes we'd say, go home. We didn't discipline. They're not our kids. Paul is saying, God is disciplining you. You're being judged for your good. It indicates that you're God's kids. You're God's children. So he gives a corrective in verse 33. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. You early birds, wait. You late comers, when you get there, you can eat together. So he says, if you're hungry, eat at home. So if you're starving, your stomach's growling, eat at home before you come. And then eat again when you get there, but wait so that there's unity and not division. So that when you meet together, it will not result in judgment. And then he says, when I come, I will give further directives. Now, Paul is speaking to a body. And sometimes within a body, there may be someone that you're at odds with and they just will not be willing to resolve something. That's another story. But here he is encouraging unity. Let's look at some possible applications today. I mentioned some of these last week. Materially, someone may have more. Someone may have less. And I think it's good in a church when you have some rich people and some not so rich and some poor. Why? Because Christ breaks down the barriers. How about age? The old, the young, and those in between. A 12-year-old sitting by a 90-year-old, and they celebrate communion together. They're one. There's no generation gap in Christ. Technology. We have the high-tech people, and we have the low-tech people. Some of us are dumb, and others us. You know, we give something to someone, and just like that, they know what they're doing. But the high-tech and the low-tech celebrating the Lord's Supper together because... The playing field is level in Christ. Sports. You have someone that's involved in sports and is very good at sports. And then you have someone that has little interest in sports or little ability. But able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and have communion in other areas of life. How about education? Someone with three or four doctorates celebrating the Lord's Supper and having fellowship and interaction with someone who made it through the eighth grade. Kind of like my dad 
graduated from Cherry Hill Mule College, they called it. Eighth grade, Cherry Hill Mule College, you know, for stubborn people. And when he was serving as a deacon in the church one time, the pastor said, we're going to read some books together. I remember Dad saying to me a number of times, Danny, I don't understand much of what this guy's saying. I'm just not very smart. But yet, he could have fellowship with those in the board that had education, those in the church that were much more educated than him. Why? Because of Christ. But if there was a division there, Paul would say, handle it. Race, black, white, social status, outgoing, withdrawn, not dividing over that. Physical, good looks, short, not as good looking, but tall. But interacting, able to worship the Lord together through communion. Music, conservative or contemporary, maybe even beyond contemporary. Politics, liberal or conservative. Media, use it much or use it little. Sin, struggling, or much holiness. Bible translation, I got to use it. NIV, someone says, no, it's got to be the King James. No, it's got to be the English Standard Version. The playing field is level in Christ. No division. The Lord's Supper is a time to remember and proclaim the body and blood of Christ. It's to be celebrated by a united body of believers. This oneness is made possible through the body and the blood of Christ. We think about communion. Some other areas of life as we think about unity is just marriage. In the 45 plus years that Ruth Ann and I have been married, as I would examine myself, been I don't keep track of how often I take care of it, and then it becomes history. I've had to go to Ruth Ann and say, you know, I didn't treat you right. There's a barrier there because of me. Will you forgive me? There was a need of that just last night. But if we came to communion next week, and that was there, eat and drink unworthily. Just parents and children. Sometimes there's barriers between parents and children. It may be younger kids. It may be older kids. And, but yet they may partake of the Lord's table. Resolve that. For extended family, there may be difficulty. As far as it depends on you, resolve it. You can't fix everything. We're just believers within the local church. This is true. At least I was told it's true, and I have no reason to doubt it. There's a local church in our area. Won't mention any names. That they had some type of meeting. I know what the meeting is about, but I won't divulge that. There was yelling, there was screaming, there was really tearing one another down. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand 
how weeks later they could have communion. And then later the church divided. Paul says, examine yourself. And that includes church leaders. So communion is to be a good time. Remembering Christ and what he has done. The unity within Christ. The playing field being level. But apparently... In Corinth, and it's not limited to Corinth, it's true today. There's barriers sometimes between believers. And Paul said to the Corinthians, examine yourself. I think the application for us today is also to examine ourselves. I can't examine you, you can't examine me. But next Sunday as we partake of communion, it's a time to reflect on, I'm one with other believers because of Christ. The playing field is level. Some smarts and some not so smart. Some old, some young, or whatever. In Christ, there's a bond. There's a tie. And let's sing together as Travis comes.